Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on that Odyssey app. Just go to your App Store, your Apple App Store, your Google Play Store, get the Odyssey app, download it, look for WILK, hit the Rob O'Donnell Show, hit favorites, and you listen to me wherever you want in the nation. You can also get us wherever you get your favorite podcast. Just search the Rob O'Donnell Show. I appreciate your support. Always, it's uh, 410. 57 degrees and sunny here, the station in Pittston. The Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature controlled, and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. I pulled this article, this next article, from uh, CNN Politics, and uh, it surprised me, to be honest with you. And I, I don't know if the headline is a little too overzealous, even for CNN politics. It says the 10 Senate seats most likely to flip in 2024. And it goes into, you know, the the 2024 Senate map is advantageous for Republicans as they try to pick up uh, one or two seats needed to flip the chamber, depending on who wins the White House next year. Members of the Senate Democratic Caucus are defending the most competitive seats. The top eight on the list of 10 seats are most likely to flip, which is not likely to change ahead of November 2024, of course. It says the order of ranking, however, is changing. Rankings are based on CNN's reporting, fundraising figures, historical data about how states and candidates have performed. Pennsylvania, for example, shoots up from number seven into July to number four this month in large part because it's the one battleground where Republicans aren't facing a messy primary. So they say out of the 10, the top eight are most likely to flip. And they have Senator Bob Casey as number four on this list. And we're going to go through it. But, I mean, this was surprising to even me. So uh, if you're out there and think Bob Casey's going to be a slam dunk, CNN politics probably doesn't. And again, these articles come out to rile support. Hey, Bob Casey's you know, on the list of maybe getting flipped. Get out there, donate more money. I mean, you got to get the motive behind a lot of this too. But still, just to put him there is um, an eye-opener for sure. So number one, which is no a no-brainer for America, is West Virginia. Incumbent Democrat Joe Manchin. It says West Virginia's Joe Manchin, the seat most likely to change party hands next year, whatever Joe Manchin does. The most conservative Democrat in the Senate who has, hasn't ruled out running as an independent for re-election or for president. Manchin isn't expected to announce his plans until the end of the year. He raised $715,000 in July to September, third quarter, enough to maintain appearances and that he'll be the candidate next year. Again, no real surprise. He's probably the most vulnerable Democrat out there. Montana, you have incumbent Democrat John Tester, is coming in number two. Again, this is from CNN Politics. So, uh, again, no real big surprise. We knew that he was uh, you know, in the crosshairs and, and very vulnerable. But number two, you know, something we have to look at, Ohio, incumbent Democrat Sherrod Brown. He's gearing up for a tough race in the state that has been trending red over the past decade. Now, he raised $5.8 million in the third quarter, ending the period with $11.2 million 
He'll need all the money he can get to face uh, one of the two self-funders vying for the GOP nomination. Both businessman Bernie Marino and state senator Matt Dolan loaned their campaigns $3 million in the third quarter. So, uh, again, another vulnerable Democrat that we'll have there. Number four, Pennsylvania. Incumbent Democrat Bob Casey. The Keystone State moves up several spots this month, largely because of how uniquely settled the GOP primary is compared to other battleground states. Republicans uh, coalesced around Dave McCormick to take on Democrat Senator Bob Casey soon after the former hedge fund executive got into the race in late September. State Senator Doug Mastriano announced in May that he was passing on the bid, a major relief for the National Republicans who were wary of the failed 2022 gubernatorial candidate and election denier. But Democrats think McCormick, who unsuccessfully sought the state's other Senate seat last year, has his own baggage. He tried to uh, track to the right in efforts to secure Trump's endorsement and the GOP nomination in the 2022 Senate primary which could alienate some suburban Philadelphia voters in the general election. He's also facing questions about his residency. McCormick insists that he lives in Pennsylvania, but returns to Connecticut to visit his daughter, who is still in school there and lives with his ex-wife. And if there's a political cost associated with that, so be it, he recently told ABC's 27 this week in Pennsylvania. Now, I've talked about this here before on the show. We've talked about it here. Now, he does have a house he's had he had a has a homestead here and a, um, a farm that he's owned here in pennsylvania for a very long time he's got a house in connecticut the key thing that stuck out with me he does not claim the homestead exemption to the property here in pennsylvania which you can only do for your primary residence and on his daughter's school paperwork he lists connecticut as home now she does go to school there it's a gray area to say the least is it something that they will be Pointing to, obviously, they're already pointing to it. You know, is it a red flag for me? No, I, you know, I think it's been explained fine. And the biggest, the biggest eyebrow raiser for me is the fact that he does not claim the homestead exemption here in Pennsylvania, or has not. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. But I don't think that's a, a deal breaker as far as anything else. I don't think there's any legal uh, ramifications. He has, he's had a house here for for a very long time. Still, the combination of McCormick and his vast personal resources during the presidential year are likely to make this Casey's most competitive Senate race yet. The three-term incumbent who raised $3.2 million in the third quarter has a well-known political name in the state and enjoys a 48% job approval and a 31% disapproval rating, according to a Quinnipiac University poll released earlier this month. He led McCormick 50 to 44 among registered voters in that survey, but the race is still young. Now, even that, if you're a Bob Casey supporter, if you're just looking at Pennsylvania politics, 50 to 44 for a name recognition like Senator Bob Casey is not not a good area to be. But the mere fact that CNN Politics has Bob Casey's seat as number four, saying the top eight are the most likely to flip, is uh, should be concerning. So we'll see what goes on there. No, no, number five is not very surprising. Arizona incumbent, independent Kristen Cinema. But will Kerry Lake have what it takes to defeat her? 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm still on the fence. Carrie has, has said a lot of dumb things, but she's said a lot of good things. Um, and again, it's not my race. I do know people inside of Arizona that I, I need to, as this race gets more and more close, that I will t- touch base to uh, possibly get on the show and talk about these. They're in state government, but they have a say-so, and they they were just in Washington this weekend as well. So, but number five, Kristen Cinema, you know, we know that was going to be a challenged race. Then you have number six, Nevada, incumbent Democrat Jackie Rosen. Uh, coming in at number six, Wisconsin, incumbent Democrat Tammy Baldwin. And she slid down one spot, in part because Republicans still don't have a major candidate to take on the Democrat in the state. Now, what's interesting is you have CNN Politics listing her as number seven, with the top eight being most likely to be switched. And they, there's not even a candidate against her yet. Now, Republicans are eyeing a businessman who has the ability to self-fund, raise money, and do what needs to be done and has a good financial background, which might be very attractive with the status of you know, our inflation and interest rates and such like that. Number eight, Michigan, Democrat Debbie some reason does their last name and number nine texas for an incumbent republican ted cruz is uh there and florida republican rick scott so those are the 10 races that cnn politics says uh have a good opportunity to flip but for bob casey to go from number seven up to number four is uh is very telling especially this uh this close in the race he was number seven and now he's number four and just for the recent polling to have him and McCormick 50 to 44 is uh is close if if you're if you're a Bob Casey supporter especially with his name recognition and what's going on there so is Pennsylvania looking for a change we'll see i guess we'll see it's uh 4:20 here at WILK it's time for traffic and weather hey thank you rob this traffic update is brought to you by Penteladata internet 81 northbound comes to a standstill around the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Airport Avoca exit. Uh, there was an accident by Montage Mountain Road, Davis Street, and that is the backup. So it's it's not construction during your rush hour home. It is an accident that happened around Montage Mountain Road, Davis Street, that has 81 northbound at a standstill. Heavy traffic on a Bernie Avenue in Music because of all that heading into the city. And then we also have some slowing 81 southbound between um, Benton Scott and the Waverly exit. Plus there's construction on Mulberry Street and Jefferson Ave at the intersection. That might be causing some delays. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you, Nikki, even though there's the bad news of 81 North. But Mm -hmm. here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. This afternoon, mostly sunny, less wind, high 55. Tonight, mostly clear and chilly, low 37. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, high 65. Wednesday, mix of sun and clouds, high 70. 
Thursday, mix of sun and clouds, high 72. It's currently 57 degrees and sunny at 421 at your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is 424, 57 degrees and sunny. You can call or text at 570-883-0098. Let's go to uh, Mike from Bloomsburg on the House of Representatives. Mike. Yeah, hey, first I want to comment on Bob Casey. You mentioned that he had a relatively small uh, name recognition lead in this uh, upcoming race. And uh, I, I, I find this surprising in a, in a way, but he's also known as the invisible senator. You know, Pennsylvania is a big state in the uh, country. It has a lot of electoral votes. And, you know, Bob Casey, in my mind, it really, he's not out there. And so I understand why he is is behind the name recognition or almost behind. But uh, another comment quickly about the, the fellow that called in that said, you know, the Republicans have to get this speaker uh, uh, put in there. Well, in my mind, there's too much at risk. We we have a national security problem. It's at the southern border, and it, you would think that a few Democrats would get together with the Republicans and, and elect a speaker, because over in Iraq or not Iraq but uh, Israel, when they were attacked, that, that to me is what's called asymmetrical warfare, and I know you could speak uh, to that a lot. But the bottom line is that which gets rewarded, gets repeated. And I believe Hamas has been rewarded in many respects. And I do believe an asymmetrical war is extremely possible here on the soil of the United States, because not just the number of known terrorists that have been apprehended at the border, how many got in? And now that they see how weak America is in many respects, there's probably even more coming. So I just want to, I want to beg my Democratic friends, get on the phone, Tell your congressman to help get a speaker in there. This is bigger than politics, national security. No no doubt, Mike, and you bring up a great point. Just this month alone, almost uh, 270,000 southern border encounters. So far this fiscal year, fiscal year 2023, 2.5 million have gotten in. And for fiscal year 23, 169 people on a terrorist watch list. Fiscal year 2022, 98. There's been more people entered on the terrorist watch list, 169 this year alone than the past six years combined. And I wonder why that is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I the, the bottom line for me is the someone, including the United Nations and our government, is basically incur, uh, encouraging and facilitating what is happening at the southern border. When You just said it. Millions of people. Okay, I mean, that is a significant number, millions of people coming in, many that don't speak English, and they need to be assimilated into the uh, culture. They need to learn the language, most likely in many cases. And and I just don't see it happening. And the strain on all of our systems, our hospitals, our medical system, our educational system, and the, you know, the food. I mean, we're bringing all these mouths in that need to be fed. And let our enemies sneak in amongst them. Let our enemies. Yeah. 2,475,669 have come in this fiscal year alone. Now, if you look at the terrorist watch lists, or these are arrests. You, you brought up a great point. Gotaways, we don't know. But just these are people on a terrorist watch list. In fiscal year 17, we had two. Fiscal year 18, we had six. Fiscal year 19, there was zero. Fiscal year 20, we had three. Fiscal year 2021, 15. 
Fiscal year 2022, 98. Fiscal year 2023, 169. And look at all fronts. Just the past four days, on Friday, we had the USS Kearney interdict three cruise missiles and eight drones. And just today, we interdicted three drones that were uh, that were marking us. Not to mention the story I'm going to talk about next, next where you had the Philippines and Chinese military vessels uh, basically ram into each other. It's unbelievable. And if I, one, one last comment. Joe Biden removed our, our, our spy balloons. I forget the exact name for them. It's the same one that broke loose for, uh, down in, in uh, I guess, Maryland, Aberdeen, and came up here to our area. He removed them. There was a fleet of them, and they said they did it for monetary reasons. They were too expensive to keep in service and maintain. And what, what's been put out is it was $50 million a year. So you could put that in perspective better than me. How much is $50 million can, uh, compared to multi-trillions of dollars? And it's for national security, and they pulled them back. And in my mind, they wanted them pulled back because they did not want an actual record of how many people actually were coming into this country. I happen to be good friends with Tom Holman. We talk about it all the time, and he says those, those surveillance balloons were imperative to the security of our nation down there. The fact that they were taken down under the guise of cost was criminal criminal treasonous as far as i'm concerned i'm sorry to say that but i feel that way all right thank you mike i appreciate you calling in you're welcome take care thank you uh and, and yeah uh just goes to the story the next story i was going to talk about where the the u.s renews a warning that'll defend the philippines after incidents with chinese vessels vessels in the south china sea now, this was between china and philippine coast guards off a disputed area you know china has made these man made islands and declared the territorial waters of China. Now, Filipino has um, an observation post out there, and they were bringing supplies to it, and uh, China ended up ramming their Coast Guard vessels. Thankfully, there were no shots fired, and thankfully there was nothing like this, but it did come to us, and the United States renewed a warning today that it will defend the Philippines in case of armed attack under a 1951 treaty after Chinese ships blocked and collided with two Filipino Coast Guard vessels off a contested shoal in the South China Sea. Now, Philippine diplomats summoned the Chinese embassy official in Manila on Monday for a strongly worded protest following Sunday's collision. This happened Sunday off uh, Second Thomas Shoal, it's called. No injuries reported, but the encounter damaged the Philippine Coast Guard ship and the wooden hull supply boat operated by Navy personnel. President of the Philippines called for an emergency meeting with the defense secretary and our top military security officials to discuss the latest hostilities in disputed waters. And again, this is the same th time that's going on with you know Palestine and Israel. It's the same thing that's going on with Russia and Ukraine. The same time of what's going on with China and everyone. And, and we know what's going on with Iran backing Hamas and Hezbollah and, and, and the Houthi rebels that shot the cruise missiles. And again, without the functioning, the properly function government, meaning a Congress that can authorize a use of force, could not have us go into default in 25 days. All this is happening at the same time. And in the meantime, in Washington, they're still playing games over, over who should be in charge.
where we have our men and women in our military out there under real da- uh, in real danger, in, in very real danger, the most danger that there's probably been in a long time. It's 4.32 here at WILK. We'll be back the Rob O'Donnell Show after the news with Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 4.38. It's a song called Stand by a local artist, Nate Hosey. It's uh, 57 degrees, 56 degrees and sunny. It's the point of the show where we honor our heroes across America who made the ultimate sacrifice. 76 police officers made the ultimate sacrifice on this day. Six of them from here in Pennsylvania. To start off, a police officer, Albert Anthony Valentino, Philadelphia Police Department, 1989, was shot and killed. We have uh, policeman Joseph V. Campbell Jr. of the Philadelphia Police Department in 1931, was shot and killed as he and state troopers attempted to arrest four suspects who escaped from the New Jersey State Penitentiary. We have patrolman William P. Johnson of the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police in Pennsylvania in 1927, Succumbed to injuries sustained eight months earlier when he was struck by a vehicle while uh, reporting to the Woods Run Police Station. Struck by a taxi cab at the intersection. Private Edward Clarence Jackson of the Pennsylvania State Police in 1918. Died after contacting, uh, contracting the Spanish flu in the performance of his duties. We also have Philadelphia Police Officer Conklin Snow in 1918. Died due to complications of the Spanish flu during the outbreak. Break. And uh, Patrolman James Farrell, the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police, in 1908 was shot and killed during an exchange of gunfire with a robber. And those are our six in, uh, in Northeast Pennsylvania, not Northeast, in, in Pennsylvania as a whole. But uh, 70, what did I say, 76 totally in the nation, six from here in Pennsylvania. That's one of the higher numbers that I've had since doing the show. Let's go to the phones. We have uh, Eugene from Luzerne County on the Middle East. Eugene. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was uh, listening there. I was going to say about that, but that last caller, he was very astute, and uh, you know, the whole world. I mean, looks like we're uh, headed towards World War Three. You know, uh, I guess once some solutions that could the United Nations do something about that with uh, with. China and in the Philippines and in uh, in that we'll uh, have to see. But as far as the United Nations are concerned, Hamas is a recognized terrorist organization, and it is the government yeah. of the Gaza Strip. But the United Nations does not recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization. They recognize them as the duly elected government of uh, the Gaza area. So, do we really uh, want to depend uh, on the UN? I mean, the UN. Uh, you know, yeah. are they in alignment yeah. with the with the American? Values in America and what's best for America. And right now we're spread yeah. uh, pretty much all over the place. Yeah. And uh, yeah. like I said, just between Friday and today, our military has taken defensive actions, shooting down cruise missiles and drones. So if, if this steps up uh, with what's going on, it doesn't look good, Eugene. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've been with civilian all my life. Uh, I'm going back to when. When I was a junior and, and Vietnam was going, the guys that were seniors, the next year they were over in, in Nam, and I had a two-hour deferment. So uh, I guess that, that last guy was saying about call your, your congressman, I I guess I could call, you know, Matt Cartwright. You know, I, I think uh, Dan Muser would be a good—I'm a pro-life Democrat, but I think Muser would be good. 
uh, in that position to get the, the government running again and, you know, and, and not be dysfunctional. So Well, we're going to see the I've, secret boat tomorrow, Eugene, and we'll see how Dan Muser does. Uh, maybe it's maybe he surprises me. I don't know. But I appreciate you calling, yeah. Eugene. Okay. You have a good evening. You too. Thank Rob, you. And you and your Latino bride. Bye-bye. Thank you. It's 442 here at WILK. It's time for traffic and weather. Hey, thanks, Rob. This Pentella Data Internet traffic update is brought to you by Energy Technologies HVAC. We have a minor wreck now on 81 northbound near DuPont. From Pittston to Scranton, traffic is moving, but it's moving under 25 miles per hour uh, for most of your way. And we have slowing 81 southbound from Scott Benton to Waverly as well. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. This afternoon, mostly sunny, less wind, high 55. Tonight, mostly clear and chilly, low 37. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, high 65. Wednesday, mix of sun and clouds, high 70. Thursday, mix of sun and clouds, high 72. It's looking up, you know, right after I put my heat on, of course. It's currently 56 degrees and sunny here at 443, your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 447 now at the station, 56 degrees and sunny. Like we talked about earlier, today is the 40th anniversary of the Beirut bombing of the Marine Barracks at our embassy, where 241 United States servicemen and women died due to a terrorist attack. Today, the U.S. Embassy in Beirut marked the 40th anniversary of the October 2023, 1983 bombing of the U.S. Marine Corps barracks in Beirut in which suicide bomber killed 241 U.S. service members. The U.S. Ambassador Dorothy Shea, Deputy Chief of Mission Amanda Pitts, Piltz, and Embassy Community honored and paid tribute to those who lost their lives. Ambassador Shea and French Ambassador... Magro laid a wreath at the U.S. Embassy's memorial adorned with the phrase, They came in peace. Members of the United States Embassy Marine Security Detail Guard Detachment read the names of each of the victims, remembered their service, and honored their sacrifice. In her remarks, Ambassador Shea emphasized that the United States' commitment to the people of Lebanon is so much stronger than any cowardly act of violence or terrorism. She continued the motto of the United States, uh, United States Marine Corps is Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Today, 40 years after the Marine Corps barracks bombing, we are forever faithful to the memory of those 241 servicemen and to all those Americans, Lebanese, and others who have given their lives in support of peace. Following uh, these are some of the remarks made by the ambassador today, this morning. Forty years ago, the Lebanese people were midway through a horrific civil war that killed tens of thousands and drove almost a million Lebanese to flee their homes. At the request of the Lebanese government, the United States, alongside our French, Italian, and U.K. allies, formed a new multinational force to help Lebanese government regain full sovereignty over Beirut and the entire country. And so in 1982, roughly 800 United States Marines landed in Beirut, along with their fellow French 
United Kingdom and Italian soldiers. They came in peace to help ensure the safety of the Lebanese people and to bring an end to tragic violence. These Marines were young men with bright futures ahead of them, with a deep commitment to serving their country and the values we hold dear as Americans and Lebanese colleagues. I would invite you to view the exhibit in our consular waiting room which includes some paragraphs depicting the daily lives of these Marines when they were here in Beirut. October 23, 1983, should have been one of those days, a peaceful Sunday. It was a Sunday, so the compound would have been quiet. At 6.22 a.m., just a few moments before morning reveille, as scheduled to sound, their bright futures were cut short in a matter of seconds. A suicide bomber drove a truck filled with explosives into the barracks, and detonated it in an attack conducted with Iran's support. This building was reduced to rubble. 241 United States servicemen were killed that day. One more would die in the coming days due to injuries sustained in the attack. In a matter of seconds, a cowardly act of terrorism robbed these American servicemen of their bright futures. Families were left forever grieving an unimaginable loss, and the entire nation was left in shock. A few minutes later, a second suicide bomber struck the French barracks and killed 58 French paratroopers. Again, I would like to recognize the Excellency Ambassador, Margot, who is here with us today and salute the memory of those French paratroopers whose futures were taken away from them far too soon. Forty years ago today, also sounds very familiar what's going on today, these very... The embassy in Beirut was attacked by protesters. Thankfully, they only made it to the outer perimeter. But we saw the videos last week, throwing rocks, throwing commercial-grade fireworks, gunfire, setting things on fire, all because we're American. With everything going on in the world, two carrier battle groups, a Marine detachment, Expeditionary unit in the area. Long-range cruise missiles being fired with the support of Iran. Drones being fired. And it's been explained to me how this happened. I, you know, I was talking to, to people this weekend about the USS Kearney exchange. And uh, obviously they, like I said, then and now, they took down three cruise missiles, long-range cruise missiles, up to 2,000 miles range and eight drones. Now, the way that happens, they obviously identify incoming or in-transit targets, locked onto them, their command and control with their Aegis system, and neutralize those threats. Within seconds, we also have the uh, plots of where these things were located from, and that goes straight up to the Secretary of Defense, to the Joint Chiefs, to the President. We have a firing solution in our computer, Sir, do we take out the threat where it was fired from? Now, there's a multitude of conversations that goes on now. What's the collateral damage? Where is it located? Are there going to be any innocent civilians? There's a whole plethora of things that take place in those seconds. But both Friday and today, there was no counterattack from our forces at the launch sites, either on Friday for those cruise missiles and drones or the drones that were taken out today. 
what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen later today? What's going to happen when ground offensives start in, in, in Israel? And again, be forewarned. This is not a week's, month's issue. This is going to be extremely deadly on both sides. It's going to be something that no one in the military wants because there will be lots of lives and it will be great. But what's the alternative? To allow terrorists to rebuild their arsenal just to attack again another day and kill more civilians? To lob rockets on a weekly basis where it becomes a normal part of life? you got to put yourself in that situation. At what point? And then we have the warning flyers going out to our Border Patrol, to our local law enforcement, saying that there is a very good possibility that Hamas terrorists, Hezbollah terrorists, will attempt to enter our southern border here. These are going out. You've seen them. All you have to do is search the Internet, look on the news, San Diego has placed them out. We look at the amount of people on terror watch list that entered this year alone, more than the past six years combined. You look at the protests at the schools. You look at the marches, the riots in Brooklyn, in Chicago, in Minnesota. We have some interesting times ahead of us, and we're going to have to make some uh, serious decisions where we want to go as Americans from this point forward. It's uh, 4.54 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 4.57, 56 degrees. Now, that those balloons that were along our border, they just weren't along our border, but they were called the Tethered Aerostat Radar System, or TARS for short. And they were a low-level airborne ground surveillance system that uses aerostats, moored balloons, as radar platforms similar to those used in other systems. Now, we had them off the Keys in Florida, in Deming, New Mexico, Eagle Pass, Texas, Arizona, Puerto Rico, Texas, Texas, Louisiana, Texas, and Arizona, because they also allowed us to look for low-flying aircraft as well as well as surveil boats and everything coming in. So they were also useful for the Caribbean platforms. Showing pictures off of Key West for any... And they were used by both NORAD, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, the United States Air Force, United States Coast Guard, and the United States Customs Service. We've had uh, 11 of them. Or we did across our border, and we no longer have them there. So, uh, again, we said the numbers of the individuals who've come in, and it's it's terrifying, quite honestly. I mean, 169 caught. Now, these are people arrested. 169 on the terror watch list this, year, this fiscal year alone. 98 last year, 15 the year before that, 3 the year before that, 0 the year before that, 6 the year before that, to the year before that in 2017. 169, more than the past six years together combined, this year alone. And then you look at the numbers. You know, just in September, 269,735 at the southern border encounters. So far this fiscal year, 
2,475,669. It's what we know of. That doesn't include gotaways. And what's the most concerning about the gotaways are the ones bringing in the poisonous fentanyl, the ones who may be on our terror watch list who are now here. It's uh, 5 o'clock on WILK News Radio. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show after this.